Welcome to Music History Monday for January 23rd, 2023. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Paul Robeson, Truly Larger Than Life. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the death on January 23, 1976, 47 years ago today, of the American bass baritone singer, stage and screen actor, civil rights activist, professional football player, and graduate of Columbia University Law School, Paul Robeson, at the age of 77, in Philadelphia. Born in Princeton, New Jersey on April 9, 1898, the son of an escaped slave turned Presbyterian minister, Robeson had more intellectual, artistic, and athletic gifts and lived more lives than any 10, 20, 50, 100 so-called normal people. And he had to fight for every one of those lives growing up a black person in early 20th century America. Larger than life. The English language idiom, larger than life, describes people who are better and stronger and smarter than the average Joe, individuals imbued with characteristics and abilities far beyond those of ordinary human beings. Typically, the idiom is reserved for fictional characters who are gifted with superhuman or nearly so qualities and abilities. The heroes, warriors, gods, and goddesses of myths and legends are, by definition, larger than life. Achilles, Hercules, Zeus, Odysseus, Thor, Brunhilde, and many, many more would all qualify. Comic book characters and superheroes are likewise, by their nature, larger than life. Certain other fictional characters become larger than life thanks to their singular identity, thanks to their stature, their presence, and their flair. Love them or hate them, we remember them. For example, Harry Potter and Frodo Baggins. Cruella de Vil and Scarlett O'Hara, Nancy Drew and Sherlock Holmes would all qualify. Employed judiciously, larger than life can also be used to describe an actual human being, providing that person's life, abilities, personality, and accomplishments truly distinguish them from the rest of us. When used to describe an actual person, the idiom gets its power from its use of figurative license, since, in fact, it is impossible to actually quantify the size of a life. According to an entry in languagehumanities.org, quote, The use of exaggeration is what gives this phrase its particular power, especially when it is used in reference to an actual person, there can hardly be a greater compliment than to call someone larger than life. That is why it is usually reserved 
for only the most noteworthy personalities, or else its impact would be somewhat lessened." Unquote. Paul Robeson, 1898-1976, was truly larger than life. Robeson's life as a singer, actor, athlete, intellectual, and activist, as a black American aggressively and publicly battling racism and Jim Crow, as a socialist and, to many, a communist dupe and traitor to America, well, here's a life that defies easy telling. As such, this post is going to focus on Robeson's preternatural talent and artistry, and will trace his life through 1933, the year he made the film The Emperor Jones. Through interviews and archival footage, tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post will briefly observe his political awakening and subsequent activism, finally focusing on the controversial but still breathtaking The Emperor Jones. Breathtaking thanks to Robeson's For the Ages performance. Paul Leroy Robeson, 1898-1976, Early Life. Paul Robeson was born in Princeton, New Jersey on April 9, 1898, the youngest of five surviving children. His mother, Maria Louisa Bustel, 1853-1904, was from a prominent family of black Quakers. She herself was a Quaker schoolteacher. Born in Philadelphia, she was of mixed race, West African, Native American, and Anglo-American. Robeson's father, Reverend William Drew Robeson, 1844-1918, was, like his youngest son Paul, larger than life as well. A descendant of the Igbo people of modern Nigeria, he was born into slavery on the Roberson Plantation in Martin County, North Carolina. In 1860, at the age of 16, William and his brother Ezekiel escaped slavery through the Underground Railway. They settled in Philadelphia in the free state of Pennsylvania. In 1861, at the age of 17, William Robeson enlisted in the Union Army and served as a laborer during the Civil War. Entirely self-educated as a young man, after the war, he attended Lincoln College, today Lincoln University, a historically black university near Oxford, Pennsylvania. He graduated with an A.B. Arts Bachelor degree in 1873 and a Bachelor of Sacred Theology degree in 1876. During the course of his career, Reverend Robeson served as the minister of the Witherspoon Street Presbyterian Church in Princeton, New Jersey, the Downer Street St. Luke African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church in Westfield, New Jersey, and the St. Thomas African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church in Somerville, New Jersey. When the good Reverend Robeson died in 1918, his son Paul called him, quote, the glory of my boyhood years, unquote and a glorious life Reverend Robeson led. The Robeson family, 
experienced a horrific tragedy in January of 1904 when Paul was six years old. His mother, Maria Luisa, at 50 years of age, nearly blind from cataracts, was in the family kitchen when an ember from the stove set her clothes on fire. With burns on 80% of her body, she died some three agonizing days later. Unimaginable. Nevertheless, Reverend Robeson and his five children persevered and, in fact, thrived. For our information, Reverend William Robeson and Maria Louisa Robeson are today buried side by side at Princeton Cemetery. Paul Robeson began his performance career early on. Starting at the age of 15, he began delivering sermons for his father when his father was called out of town on church business. In 1912, Robeson entered Somerville High School, where he sang in the chorus, performed in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar and Othello, and lettered in football, baseball, basketball, and track. At six foot three inches in height and 219 pounds, 240 pounds as an adult, the young Paul Robeson was an imposing figure. Sadly, but predictably, his astonishing athleticism exposed him to the ugliest sort of racial taunts and abuse, which, according to virtually every source available, he simply ignored. Extraordinary. As a senior at Somerville High School, he was named valedictorian of his almost all-white graduating class and won a statewide academic contest for a scholarship to Rutgers College, then a private college, today the State University of New Jersey, in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Paul was only the third black American ever to attend Rutgers, and the only one at the time. He went out for the otherwise all-white football team and, during the course of his tryout, was soundly abused by his erstwhile teammates. He suffered a broken nose and a dislocated shoulder. But Robeson refused to stand down or be intimidated. Suitably impressed, Coach George Foster Sandy Sanford announced that Robeson had made the team. Well... Coach Sanford chose wisely. Paul Robeson was selected as a first-team All-American in both his junior and senior years. According to Walter Camp, the college football doyen who was responsible for selecting Robeson as an All-American, Robeson was, quote, the greatest defensive end that ever trod the gridiron, unquote. The only time Robeson was benched during his entire college football career was during his sophomore year when, on October 14, 1916, the Washington and Lee University football team of Lexington, Virginia, refused to take the field against a black player. Yes, jerks. How do we spell Excel? While at Rutgers, Robeson again lettered in multiple sports. Along with football, he lettered in baseball, basketball, and track. 
During the course of his college career, he won four major oratorical contests. He sang in the Glee Club and performed as a singer off campus. And he made Phi Beta Kappa. Robeson was one of only four graduating seniors, class of 19, inducted into Rutgers' super-exclusive Cap and Skull Honor Society. And once again, he was selected by his classmates to serve as valedictorian at graduation. Law school, football, the Harlem Renaissance, and Eslanda. Having graduated from Rutgers in 1919, Robeson enrolled in NYU Law School. To support himself, he coached football on the side. He transferred to Columbia Law School in 1920, a transfer that changed his life entirely. Here's why. NYU, New York University, was and is located in Greenwich Village in Lower or Southern Manhattan, bounded by 14th Street to the north. Columbia University is located in Morningside Heights in Upper or Northern Manhattan, just a few blocks from the neighborhood of Harlem, which itself is bounded by 110th Street to the south. While attending law school at Columbia, Paul Robeson moved to Harlem during one of the most dazzling times in that storied neighborhood's history, a period called the Harlem Renaissance. Spanning the 1920s and 1930s, the Harlem Renaissance, also known as the New Negro Movement, saw a cultural and intellectual rebirth, revival of black American music, dance, fashion, art, literature, theater, scholarship, and politics centered there in Harlem. Robeson, who already had a reputation as a singer of talent thanks to his deep, velvety, bass baritone voice, was immediately in demand there in Harlem as a singer. Not surprisingly, given his talents, he was also in demand as a football player. In 1921, he played professional football for the Akron, Ohio Pros of the American Professional Football Association, renamed the National Football League, or NFL, in 1922. In 1922, Robeson played for the Milwaukee Badgers in the now newly designated NFL. How he managed to play pro football in Akron, Ohio, and Milwaukee, Wisconsin, while simultaneously attending law school at Columbia, is anyone's guess. Nevertheless, football was but a temporary distraction. Because what truly changed Robeson's life when he transferred to Columbia was his meeting a woman named Eslanda, nicknamed Essie Good, at Columbia in 1920. In 1921, she would become his wife, his muse, his business manager, and eventually his tormentor. Eslanda Essie Cardozo Good Robeson. 1895 to 1965. Oh my goodness, here we go again. Yet another larger-than-life person. Essie Good was born on December 15, 1895 in Washington, D.C. She was descended from enslaved Africans with the exception of her maternal great-grandfather, 
who was a Sephardic Jew whose ancestors, the Cardozos, had been kicked out of Spain back in the 17th century. Her maternal grandfather was Francis Louis Cardozo, 1836-1903, who was elected Secretary of State of South Carolina in 1868, making him the first black American ever to hold a statewide office in the United States. Essie Good Robeson earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Chemistry from Columbia University and subsequently worked at New York Presbyterian Hospital, where she became the first black person ever to become the head histological chemist of surgical pathology. Yeah, for our information, histology is that branch of anatomy concerned with studying microscopic tissues. In 1937, she received a master's degree in anthropology from the London School of Economics. And in 1946, she received a PhD in anthropology from the Hartford Seminary. In addition to being a scientist and an anthropologist, Essie Good Robeson was a published author, a stage and movie actress, and along with her husband, a civil rights activist. But from a professional point of view, Essie Good Robeson's greatest ambition and greatest accomplishment was as Paul Robeson's inspiration, business manager, and yes, his motivator. They immediately began dating after meeting in 1920. There can be no question that Eslanda Good was blown away by the entire Paul Robeson package, by his intelligence, by his looks and magnetic physical presence, and by his talent. She unilaterally decided that Paul Leroy Robeson was born for the stage, and she single-handedly persuaded him to take a role in Ridgely Torrance's play, Simon the Cyrenian, which was being produced by the Harlem YMCA in 1920. Paul Robeson remembered, quote, Even then, I never meant to become an actor. I just said yes to get her to quit pestering me, unquote. But become an actor he did. That's because Eslanda Good, who became Mrs. Eslanda Robeson in August of 1921, was right. Paul Robeson was indeed born for the stage. By the time he graduated from Columbia Law School in 1923, his legal aspirations had shrunk to zero as opportunities to act and sing were rolling in. In 1924, he was chosen to play the lead role of Jim Harris, the black husband of an abusive white woman who destroys his promising career as a lawyer in the premiere of Eugene O'Neill's controversial play, All God's Chillin' Got Wings. All God's Chillin' Got Wings landed Robeson the title of Brutus Jones in a revival of Eugene O'Neill's play, The Emperor Jones. Yeah, Brutus Jones would in time become Robeson's defining role. Tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post will feature Robeson's movie version of the play, which was released on September 29, 1933. According to Sheila Boyle and Andrew Booney, 
writing in Paul Robeson, The Years of Promise and Achievement, University of Massachusetts Press, 2005, quote, The role of Brutus terrified and galvanized Robeson, as it was practically a 90-minute soliloquy, unquote. Yeah, this is a fact. For our information, there are eight scenes in Eugene O'Neill's play, The Emperor Jones. The character of Brutus Jones appears in every scene, and in scenes two through seven, he has the only speaking part. A 90-minute soliloquy indeed. Robeson's terror would seem to have inspired him. He received rave reviews, and the role helped cement what was his growing notoriety. With Essie pushing, shoving, and elbowing her self-avowedly indifferent husband, Paul Robeson's fame came on fast. He starred in his first film, a silent called Body and Soul, in 1925. Directed by the black American author and filmmaker Oscar Michaud, Body and Soul is a so-called race film. These were films that were produced between about 1915 and the early 1950s specifically for black audiences that featured black casts. They were created outside of the Hollywood studio system and were largely forgotten and lost. Of over 500 such race films that were made, fewer than 100 of them have survived. It was also in 1925 that Robeson signed his first recording contract with Victor Records to record spirituals. Consequently, by 1925, just two years after having graduated from law school, Paul Robeson had become a major player in the Harlem Renaissance. To London and fame. In 1928, Robeson played Joe in the London production of Jerome Kearns and Oscar Hammerstein II's musical theater hit, Showboat. Produced at the Theatre Royal on Drury Lane, Robeson was a sensation, and his rendition of the iconic song, Old Man River, instantly became the standard by which all other performances have since been measured. Such was Robeson's fame and popularity as Joe in the London production of Showboat that he was summoned to give a royal command performance at Buckingham Palace. For your viewing and listening pleasure, Robeson's performance of Old Man River from the 1936 movie production of Showboat is linked. Robeson's extraordinary popularity in Britain and the relative lack of racism he experienced there convinced him and Essie to buy a house in the Hampstead neighborhood of London and settle in. In 1930, Robeson and Essie performed together in the experimental Swiss film Borderline, after which he returned to the Savoy Theatre in London's West End to play the title role in Shakespeare's Othello, opposite the famed Dame Peggy Ashcroft, 1907 to 1991, as Desdemona. The tabloid-worthy story of Robeson's two-year affair with Peggy Ashcroft deserves mention, but for now, nothing more. Despite it all, Robeson's marriage to Essie survived. 
For our information, while living and working in London, Robeson was one of the very first artists to record at the spanking new EMI Recording Studios, today known as Abbey Road Studios. He recorded four songs there in September of 1931. The Emperor Jones in 1933, Paul Robeson returned to the United States to play Brutus Jones in the film version of The Emperor Jones, a role he had first played on stage in 1925. Based on the play by Eugene O'Neill, with a screenplay by DuBose Hayward, The Emperor Jones was the first American studio film to star a black American, something that would not happen again until the 1950s. It's just another example, for better or for worse, of Robeson scoring a first. When we return tomorrow and Dr. Bob prescribes, the remarkable saga of this extraordinary man continues, along with an in-depth examination of the movie, The Emperor Jones. Until then, thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.